Wow. Awesome. So it's, ah, uh, I missed you. I do. I, I'm, I'm glad to be back. After being, I've been gone eight weeks. Before I jump into what I want to talk about, uh, and if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter six uh, in about an hour and a half from now. So anyway, so before you jump into this, I, I want to thank I want to thank our elders and our staff for taking such great care of me, making sure I have time and space to stay healthy and to rest. Uh, I went on vacation with Robin, but uh, to, to get away and just study, to hear from God where he's leading me and leading this church. So I'm, I wanna thank them. I also, I wanna give a special thanks to Dr. Mark Moore over the last month, all right? And the other teachers, go on, give it up for uh, so some other teachers all stepped in this summer and they have fed us absolutely phenomenal. Somebody told me, in the, everybody says, hey, I really love Mark. I'm never inviting him back. I'm very insecure now. And, uh, uh, but no, Mark's listening today because I, I ran this talk by him and, and I want to make sure I wasn't crazy. The jury's still out on that. But um, here's, the, here's the danger of sending me away so I can carve out time and space to hear from God. Here's the danger of that. I heard from him. All right, buckle up, all right? And, and I, know I have a reputation whenever I'm gone for a while on a break or a mission trip, I come back weird and fired up. And just putting everybody on notice, I am more weird and more fired up than I've ever been in my whole life. I know what I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life doing and where I'm supposed to lead this church called Flatirons, all right? I know, all right? I know. You, wait, wait, be careful. Because <laughs> you may not be what you thought it was, all right? And, and just saying out loud, that out loud makes me sound even weirder. So, so let, me, let me make a couple of things very, very clear. And then I'm going to take you today down the first steps of a journey that I hope you'll go on with me uh, moving forward. Again, to, today is me sharing out loud what God's teaching me and leading me. I guess my, my big ask at the end of this or the application is, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to go with me? Right? So before we get into the weird stuff, all right, let, let, let me kind of get all the big rocks on the table so you know it's still, he's, he's still okay, all right? Here, here's what I believe, all right? I believe in God, Father, God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, who was and is and is to come. He is Yahweh. He's the one true God, most high. There's no one like him, no one above him or no one beside him. I believe in God. Amen? All right, I believe in Jesus Christ, his unique son, who is Yahweh in the flesh, fully God, fully incarnate, born of a virgin, came through the birth canal, cried, got potty trained, learned to walk, grew up, went through puberty, grew up to be a man, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose again on the third day to accomplish what his father sent him to do. His death and his resurrection paid for our sin and removed the threat of death and separation from God forever. His ascension back to heaven sent the Holy Spirit who lives in every believer, progressively conforming us into the image of Christ, overcoming depravity and brokenness. And then Jesus launched his church in order to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth to regather the nations in the fullness of time. Jesus will return to gather his people and we will reign with him. Amen? I believe so. I'm not dumb. I'm just getting warmed up. I, I, I believe that any person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has already done for them and not what you might do for him in the future. This makes it really, really clear. I love this. Take a picture, all right? The gospel, the, the good news of the gospel is what God has already done for us, not what we're supposed to do for him. We don't earn our way in. So don't worry if you screw up. You didn't earn it. He's not gonna take it away from you. Having said that, any person who has truly put their faith in Jesus has his spirit residing in them that will, they will demonstrate that faith by their, and I love this phrase, their, 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 their level of believing loyalty and obedience to Jesus and what he says is right and true. Again, not in order to be loved or become saved, but because we understand we already are. 
I believe that the church is God's family on earth to whom Jesus will one day introduce each one of us to his heavenly father and declare he is not ashamed to call himself our brother, Hebrews chapter two. I believe that the church is the earthly reflection of God's heavenly counsel and we have been tasked to worship the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength and to partner with the spirit to image God to the world so everybody has an opportunity to call on the one name given to man under heaven and earth by which we may be saved, the name of Jesus. Only Jesus can save. I believe that. I also believe that I am called to, to, to this particular church, Flatirons, and you're called to this particular church, Flatirons, and Flatirons is chosen by God to be in this community to make his kingdom known to the world in Colorado and beyond for such a time as this. I believe that. So that means this. Anything else you hear from me today doesn't violate that. Doesn't contradict that, all right? Never will. Never will. Be cool? Everybody? Amen? All right, right now. <laughs> you have no idea what. Now, having said, let me just tell you a little bit about the journey I've been on the last six months or so. Some of us go, you were here for it, and you go like, oh yeah, I remember that weekend, all right, right? But, so this will be a little trip down memory lane. So last fall, all right, I had the opportunity to travel to Kenya, Africa, twice to spend time with Maasai people. Uh, the second trip was, I had the privilege of participating in a Maasai initiation ceremony of some young boys becoming men. Beautiful, bucket list in my life, all right? At the same time, about a year ago, all right, here in America, the headlines were, and social media were blowing up all with stories about gender, and, and I was trying to explain this to some Maasai Christian men about what's going on in America, and they, they didn't have a category for it. Like, what? I remember telling one, one man in the back of a, a van one time, he says, in America, a boy, can be, a, a boy can become a girl. And he says, oh, my boy wants to be an engineer. I went, you're not listening. <laughs> I was like, no, wait, wait. <laughs> and again, he didn't have a category, all right? Finally, he asked me this, ruined my trip. He said, Pastor Jim, where was the church? Where was the church? What were they doing? And I thought, they were right there. Right, saying nothing. And I remember coming back from that trip and I was fired up. When I get fired up, I'm, I'm not real gracious, all right, all right? <laughs> yeah, that's true, all right? I, uh, I, I remember standing up here and calling out parents and teachers. You need to stand up, you need to go to your school and you guys, this is not okay. And you need to go to your school board and say, and then you know what, I wish I would have shut up right there because all week long, here's where I landed. And say what? And say what? I'm, I'm putting a finger in your chest going, you should Say what? Most, most parents, most people, most Christians that I know have no idea what to say or how to articulate what God says is right and true or what and why God says something else is not right or, or true. And gender, we're not gonna get hung up on that. It's just one example of the many social battles being fought in our world. And it feels like we are in a war and we don't know how to fight or who we're supposed to fight uh, for or against. Now hang on to that because here's the answer. It's not each other. Right? There's more going on. So here was my first aha moment, right? In, in the last several months. If, if you call Flatirons your church and you can decide if that means to you, right? And you don't know how to articulate how or why what God says is right and true and good around all these cultural, social battles being fought all around us, around identity, around sexuality, around faith, around marriage, around life, part of that is on me. And here's what I mean by that, all right? You all have trusted me to be your teacher. And if after time you are prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have, even on the most basic level of this is my identity in Christ, this is who I am to God, this is how and why I live my life the way I do, that's partially, not totally, but partially on me. And I'm not being a martyr. But while I believe that it is the mission of the church to reflect the mission of Jesus that Mark pointed to so well last week, we, we are here to seek and save the lost, right? That's not gonna change. 
We will always be a church that opens its doors wide to any person who is seeking truth, no matter how messy their lives have been or currently are. But please hear this. The mission of the church does not stop at getting lost and broken people saved and out of hell after they die or feeling less guilty about what they've done or more positive about themselves. That, that, that's helpful, but it's going somewhere. It is continually learning and growing in and knowing what God says is true and bringing our lives into obedience to Christ so that God's mission and purpose for our individual lives and for this church and for the world in this life is realized through us. And that comes from knowing the word of God. See, I, I, I agree with statements like this. I'll buy this t-shirt. It's okay to not be okay. Totally agree. Hear this. It's not okay to stay not okay. Right? Getting saved is the starting line of a change and changing life. And all that to say, I am committed to this church that before I hang it up in a few years, I don't know how many, till they go, go away. I don't know. The most important thing I could leave behind is a church that knows how to handle and submit to the word of God. Because if you're able to do that, nothing can stop you. Everybody still with me? Can I get amen? All right, all right. Okay, next part. Nobody left. Well, one, but we should probably have to pee. Go. All right, so. So I really am under conviction about our church really digging into the word of God. So and I mentioned this before I went on break. I, I've really been being drawn back to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, all right? Two letters in the, in the Bible that a guy named Paul wrote to a church located in a city called Corinth, which is located in what we now call, call Greece. And, and, and Corinth was kind of, a, it's a big deal. It's a big city. It's a cultural center, kind of center with all kinds of different religions everywhere, all these cultures and, and, and belief systems. It kind of prided itself on being progressive. Like, hey, in Corinth, anything goes, but we'll be the first to try. It's very similar to Denver, I, know, not, I mean, we kind of pride ourselves like, hey, we're the first ones to do that. We legalized that before anyway. It's just everything happened, right? It's kind of like, right? Now, now, the purpose of these two letters is in response to some reports that Paul has gotten about the Corinthian church there. And here it is. There's just nothing different about them. There's nothing distinctive about them. There's, there's no difference between the Christians living in Corinth and the other people in Corinth that don't give a flip about Jesus, they're no different. They're just like everybody else. As a matter of fact, a bunch of the Christians in the Corinthian church there are taking what they've learned about Jesus and combining it with some other stuff that they learned, other beliefs, other religions, and some superstitions. In other words, I like that part about Jesus about being forgiven and not going to hell. Sign me up there. But I'm still hanging on to my, in my other church, whatever, it's okay to have sex I'm someone I'm not married to. So I'm just gonna combine that. In my other place, it's okay to you know, cheat a person in business. That's just what it is. I, I, I know what Jesus says about my body, but in my other personal belief system, my truth, my body is my body and nobody can tell me what I should or shouldn't do with it. Paul even reports this. Some of the Christians are doing things that even the pagans, the non-believers are going, we don't even do that. That's just... Wow, that is out there. I'm not gonna tell you what that is because there's kids in the room. But so, I, so, I, so I thought, well, that's a good place to start because that's a pretty good description of Christianity, at least in America. So my plan was to come back from break and teach through both of those letters all fall. But then as I'm reading through and studying to, to come back and teach, I come to these odd passages, passages in there and I'm like, how am I gonna teach that? Like, like, I'll give you a few of them. Paul teaches that we, he says, we Christians, we have been given a secret wisdom that's been hidden for generations, but it's been given to us from God. And then he says this, look at this. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What's that mean? 
And who are the rulers of this age? And it's not the Jews or the Romans that nailed Jesus to a cross. Paul is referencing rulers in the spiritual world. So my question is, what did they not understand? What was the big secret? And if they had known that secret, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. You know? I have no idea. Right, right, right. Then you jump over to chapter six and Paul is criticizing Christians for taking one another to court over stuff that Christian brothers and sisters, you ought to be able to work it out. And then he throws this in. Don't you know you'll judge angels? Ever heard that sermon? And I thought, no, we, we don't. We, Paul, we don't know that, all right? We have no idea what you're talking about. Or how about in chapter five, it says this. If there's a Christian brother or sister who's part of your church that's involved in ongoing, refuses to repent sexual sin, you're to, you're to remove him from the church and look at this and not just kick him out. Look, deliver this person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in order that his or her spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What? That sounds really mean. I don't know. Here, go to hell. What is that, right? It just said, like, what are you talking about? In another place, Paul finds out that there's this big controversy about buying and eating meat they bought in a market, and the meat was left over from sacrificing to an idol, a statue of a different God. And Paul says in one place in 1 Corinthians, it's no big deal because we know that idols are just stone or wood. They don't have any power. But then he says, but please be aware of people, Christians, right? The people who sacrificed to these idols were actually worshiping and joining themselves to demons. They were worshiping other gods, small g gods. And as a Christian, joining yourself to Jesus and any other God cannot happen. You can't eat from the table of Jesus and the cup of demons. You can't do it. All that to say, most of us are sitting there going, what are you talking about? I, what, what, judging angels, worshiping demons? Did you just say small g God? Earlier you said that you thought there was only one God. That's not what I said. I said there's no God like our God. And that's true. But if there's no God like our God, compared to who? And if Paul is warning this church in Corinth that there is ongoing spiritual and demonic competition and attacks on their lives and pulling them away from following Jesus, my question is, was that just true for Christians 2,000 years ago or is it still possibly happening today? All that to say, (laughs) this is my rabbit trail, all right? What if all that we are experiencing in the world today in areas like violence and addiction and sexual and gender confusion and spiritual and relational chaos, what if it's not new at all? But it's been happening over and over and over, repeating the same cycle of destruction. But we as followers of Jesus are totally ignorant of it because first of all, we live in this enlightened postmodern world where we doubt anything supernatural that we can't explain away. And second, we have no idea what God's word says about what's really going on in our world. So, so, so this is kind of my next aha moment. We as Christians, especially in America, we try, to, we try to make this Bible something it's not and then we get frustrated with it. It's not a science book. Uh, Pastor Jim, could you explain scientifically how the universe could happen in six days? <laughs> no. No, I can give it a shot, but you know what? You're missing the point. The point is, all this originated from God who inaugurated a supernatural plan because he's a supernatural being and the creation account is a supernatural ex- explanation of God's creative work and his motive for doing it in the first place and it's given to us in terms that people back then could read it and understand And don't be so arrogant to think to yourself, well, those people back then were stupid. How could they not know about the big boom and particles and and, and stars and planets? I don't know. God knew. I guess he could have told them. But please don't be so arrogant because 100 years from now, your grandkids will look back at you and go like, how could they be so stupid? How could they not have known? I, I I heard, and this is just really 
clicked in my brain. You might want to take a picture, all right? This says it really well. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to people hundreds and even thousands of years ago. And here's what I mean by that, all right? I mean, it's certainly for us. It's God's word, right? It means this. We can't project our 21st century world onto theirs. We must take their world and project it onto ours. What did they believe about God? What did they believe was going on in the universe? How did they see God working in the world and in their lives? What truths and realities were they aware of that we are missing? Things that, again, in another place, Paul says, the small g God of this age blinds our eyes from seeing the glory of Jesus. Sometimes we read the Bible, and, 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 and we've all done it. We read something, and you go like, well, that, you, cannot, you cannot take that literally. Okay, but rather than saying it's not literal, what if we took the stance of it's more than literal? There's more going on there than what it literally says, and that's what I gotta dig out of that part and apply it to my lives today. See, sometimes we read the Bible, and we think, that, that's, that is weird, <laughs> We're gonna get to it this fall. You're gonna go, I had no idea that was in the Bible, right? I don't understand that. I don't see how it's even possible. So what we do is we skip over it and write it off as unimportant because it's just weird. And that's what I was not gonna do in 1 Corinthians. We're not, don't worry about that one. Let's go, right, right? But what if what makes it weird makes it more important? And if we could dig into it, we could see how it would change how we see God, the universe, everybody around us. I mean, think about this, all right? I'm a little nervous. I know what I'm about to say. If, if you believe in Jesus, by show of hands, right, right? What do you mean believe? From the virgin birth to the crucifixion and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, if you believe in the gift and presence of the Holy Spirit, heck, if you're just one of those people that goes, I believe in a generic higher power, then you have to categorize any and all of that as supernatural, right? And if you believe in the supernatural, then all things are now on the table, including things outside of your knowledge, your awareness, your experience, and your level of comfort, right? It's just logical, right? If you believe in Jesus and what he has done for you, then you have to go upstream and look at why he needed to do anything for you in the first place. And eventually, and this is what we're going to look at all year long in depth, you're going to run into this. Here is why Jesus did and continues to do what he does in your life. Because without Jesus, you're lost. Lost to who? How about this? Supernatural, intelligent evil has formed itself against you and delights in your destruction. Doesn't that explain a lot? Just look at it. Supernatural, like other, intelligent, and all that space stuff at Congress this week was just freaking me out. Anyway, but, but supernatural, if you don't know what I'm talking about, good. Supernatural, intelligent evil has formed itself against you and delights in your destruction. That's why your life is hard. And for that supernatural evil to be destroyed and defeated, it will happen on a human level because that's where we live and on a supernatural level because that's where it's coming from. There is a war being fought on a supernatural spiritual level and it impacts your physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual life. Have you ever felt that? You felt it. Sure, but you dismiss it as uh, too many tacos or, you know, or it's scary or I've been watching too many movies or playing too many video games. Okay, all right. But what if the reason that the movies and the books and the stories and the video games that we create and spend hours of our life engaging in where we are watching and participating in stories of, of good versus evil and supernatural versus human, what if the reason all this fascinates us is that well, God, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter three, God has written eternity in our heart meaning God has put something within every human being, an awareness that God is up to something supernatural in the universe, the spiritual world and the physical world and in your life. Nobody teaches us that. We just lay in bed and we know it. 
There is more to this life than what we can see, touch, and feel. And we try to express it through fiction, through video games, through movies, through literature. There's more. That's the takeaway, right? There's more. We we gotta wake up. The, The writers of the Bible believed that there was more going on in the universe than what you could see physically around you. They believed in a supernatural, spiritual world that paralleled and impacted this physical world. And you know what? You do too. You do, because it's written in your heart. The prophets and the authors and the writers of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, believed in a supernatural world which consisted of the one true God. His name is Yahweh, but also populated by lesser deities and spirits and angels and demons. And here's the big one. Jesus believed in the supernatural world. And here's the kicker. The supernatural world sure believed in Jesus. I was just studying this this summer. You know, in the whole Old Testament, a demon doesn't get cast out of anybody. In the whole Old Testament, nobody has the authority to do it. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus walks up to a man, and Mark talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Uh, is he walks up to the man, and here's the thing is, he confronts a demon, and the demon immediately recognizes him. You know why? Because they have history, and it goes back way before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What was Jesus doing before Bethlehem? Come back in September, all right? And here's what the demon says. He sees Jesus and says, what, do, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, Yahweh? I beg you, by God, don't torment me. See, the demon knows how this ends. He, the demon knows that Jesus will eventually destroy him. He just wants to know, is it today? Now, let, let me say this, because some of you are going, we maybe find a church. Uh, uh, we're not going in the direction, there's a demon behind every bush, and every time you stub your toe, it's some satanic attack. We're not that church, all right? But we do have to become more aware that there's more going on in this world, where there's something spiritual, and I would say sinister, and Jesus would say demonic, that's trying to manipulate the world that ends in the destruction of those of us who are created in the image of God. But Jesus' plan is we are predestined to be conformed in the image of Jesus. And the imagery that the Bible uses is warfare. Spiritual warfare. And don't jump to some exorcist movie or some guy on TV smacking people in the foreheads in the name of Jesus, you know, with a Southern accent, always, all right? But that's, that's not what we're talking about here. This series that we're in this month is gonna culminate in the last couple weeks of the month. I'm gonna challenge you to enlist and engage in participating in spiritual warfare with this church by serving in this church and giving to this church and spiritually praying for this church. See, and this is, this is the takeaway. This is where I'm gonna land in a few minutes, right? This is what Jesus is commanding us to do. There is a war happening right now. Here, write this down. Pick a side. Pick a side. Not, a, not against those people or people that do that. that. The world's got too much of that. No, it's Jesus or anything that's not Jesus. And you're on one side or the other. You're either with Jesus or you're not. There is no neutral So how are we gonna do this? Ephesians 6, if you've been looking for it, right? Here's what Paul says. Here's the strategy, okay? He says this. Finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord, not in your own strength, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul's right there, okay? So he's... It's not imaginary. He, He sees there's a real thing that has a and specific scheme is like you, all you military people get this. You go, you recon things, 
you get a strategy, you find out where they're weak, and that's where you go. You've been reconned. You have. Why does it just seem like it always hits that part of my life? Because there's a specific scheme against you. Right? If that's not a temptation, he's not going to come after that, but he knows. He knows. He knows. Right? Schemes of the devil. Sorry, that's extra, right? Four. And here's the thing. And this is why you gotta, we just got to get on board. We do not wrestle against people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and here's the list, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the, here it is, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What we're gonna see in the coming months that Paul's talking about, he's talking about small G gods, not Yahweh, small G gods, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And heaven is not somewhere in outer space. Heaven is the space around you. That's how we, they understood the world. And it's, it's, like, it's all around you, right? And, and these spiritual forces we're gonna find have divided up the earth and the nations and they've set themselves up against the one true God. They hate the one true God. And they know because of the cross, they have lost their authority over our lives. Our chains are gone. And they know they will be defeated and destroyed in the end. Read the last book of the Bible. But they're not going away easily or soon. So today, here's their plan. They're gonna steal from you, kill you, and destroy everything that is important to God's imagery in any way they can. Paul says that is where our battle is. Not people. Not that, not that political party. Not people believe that. No, it's spiritual forces of evil that are all around us. And Paul is telling us that how we will not just survive, but prevail. Jesus says, I'm gonna kick in the gates of hell. Can't wait to teach on that one, all right? So let's keep going, verse 13. Here's the plan. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not just a, a piece here and there, you gotta have it all, that you may be able to withstand any, the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. So that's the goal. I'm still here. Stand therefore, having fastened on, if you're an underliner, here's the words, right? Fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication to that end, Wake up, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, praying for each other, for all the saints. So Paul says, here's how we're gonna, here's how we will stand firm and defeat the supernatural spiritual attack of intelligent evil that's formed itself against you, your marriage, your children, your emotional health, your, your mental health, and your walk with God. If you're, if you're a note taker, here it is. We gotta do this. You must know the truth and what's not true. You must have a heart for righteousness, it lines up with God. You must know the gospel, what it is and what it is not right? You must have true faith. You must have believing loyalty to Jesus, okay? I'm going to live out my faith. You must be saved and know how and why you are unquestionably saved. I would say most of the room, you're not sure. You had a bad day, you think you're going to hell. You had a good day, showed up at church, put $4 on the offering. If I die today, I'm probably good. And this is your life, right? What else, all right? You must know, you must know the word of God, and we have to know it better than we currently do. Hey, let me just say this about, we have to know the word of God. I'm, I'm, gonna call, I'm gonna call out our church here, right? This culture of, I make it to church one out of three times if I don't have anything better to do, has to stop. Like starting on Labor Day, if you miss, because I'm, I'm gonna start off on this in Labor Day. If, if, you, if you start missing every other one, you're gonna get lost because everyone is gonna build on the last one. One out of three means I'm not that serious. Jesus is an option, but not a priority. Here's what I would tell you, Christian. Fish or cut bait. 
Get in or move on. Pick a side. As for me and my house, I know what we're going to do. That's what I'm calling us to do. If you can't be here because you travel or whatever that is, and then you're online, but you're staying up with us. We're, as a community, this is where we're going. We have to pray for one another. We're about to sing a song in just a minute. I'm, I'm on fight, but I'm going to fight on my knees. Right? We have to pray with each other and for one another. Well, that'd be really awkward. How do I go into my 17-year-old room and say, I'm gonna pray with you? I don't know. You walk in there and say, sit on the bed, I'm gonna pray. Dad, you're weird. I know. Amen. Thanks, Dad. What is the worst that could happen? Well, my daughter knows I'm a hypocrite. Well, pray about that. All right? And then persevere. None of that was in my notes. You're welcome. All right. In another place, look at 2 Corinthians, all right? He says, though, for though we walk in the flesh, we got bodies, all right? We are not waging war according to the flesh. It's not a human battle here. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, underline this, okay, if you have your Bible, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty, arrogant opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. God's word calls it out. We live in a world of demonic strongholds. You got one? It's that thing that you've been asking God to remove from your life, that struggle, that pain, that burden, whatever it is, and it won't go away. Stronghold could be also translated prison. It owns you. And they, 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 these strongholds, they, they export, they, they kind of put out this argument, they raise every opinion that's contrary to God. What God said is true. This is our battle. And we will be destroyed if we're not ready and prepared to do battle. Again, not in the flesh, not against people like that, but against anything or any idea that's claiming to be true, but it's different than what Jesus says is true. We have to think different, church. And I plan to spend the rest of my life preparing us in this next season of Flatirons to put on our armor. Not an armor to go out there and fight cultural wars, but an armor for spiritual battles. We're not against anybody. We're just for Jesus. And we're gonna stare into the face of an unseen enemy and he's going to shudder. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe that you're intended not just to be a survivor, to make it through this world, but actually to be more than a conqueror? Well, then let's start living like it. Now, like I said, we're not gonna be the church that looks you know, for a demon behind every rock. We're not gonna be that church that takes the president's name and multiplies it by this and whatever, and 666, he's the Antichrist. That's a, no. Some of you are going, I actually did that. And no, don't, all right? Please know this. There is an intelligent evil entity. Let's call him what Jesus called him, Satan. And he, and we'll find out, he's not alone. They seek to destroy you. And we don't live in paranoia because greater is he, 1 John 4, greater is he that is in us than he is that is in the world. But please be aware, there's a spiritual battle going on that seeks the destruction of, your, of you, of your family, of your children, because they're all made in God's image and the spiritual forces of evil hate God, hate Jesus. So they can't touch God, but they'll settle for you. And you haven't, here's a, you already know that's true. You feel it. So let's get really, really practical and then we'll get out of here, all right? Let me ask some questions about how this impacts your life. Why does your marriage and your family always feel like it's under attack and failing? Could it be because there's a demonic strategy that wants to crush your family? 
Why is what God calls sexual immorality, which God defines, not Jim or Flatterance, God defines as any sexual activity outside of a loving marriage? Because marriage is supposed to image how Jesus loves his church. But why is it that sexual sin is not just normalized in our world, but celebrated and encouraged? Why are Christians having just as many affairs and getting divorced at the same rate as non-Christians? Could there be demonic oppression in our own house? Why is it that the key word for LBGTQ is pride, which is the original sin in the Bible? The definition of pride, I don't care what God says, I want something else, and I'm taking pride in telling God he's wrong and I'm right. It's a demonic strategy on the image, attack on the image of God. Here's the other one. Why is it that I won't get any emails about calling out heterosexual sin? Most people just roll their eyes and go, Jim's old fashioned, but I'll get canceled for even hinting that homosexuality is outside of God's plan for, for any person. Both are equally outside of God's plan for a person, but only one of them will get me called hateful and ignorant. Why is that? I say it's a demonic strategy. Why, no, 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 no. Why are, so many, why are so many Christian boys and men addicted to pornography? I think 67% of us have looked at porn in the last 30 days. It's better for pastors. It's only like 52%. <laughs> Average age of first exposure to porn, 10-year-old little boy. It's a demonic stronghold. It's evil, and it's bigger than the willpower we try to manufacture to defeat it, which is why we keep going back to it. And if you're in it, you know it's, it owns you. Time out here, okay? I'm gonna talk to the men really, really, really quick. All right, this is a shameless plug. I have a few slots left for the Rocky Mountain Men's Summit, end of August. Just go to jimbergen.com. Also, we're gonna try something in September, man. We're gonna host a conference. We're gonna invite the whole world to it. We wanna pack this place out, and it's gonna be about integrity. It's gonna be about intimacy and integrity. It's a free conference, right? We're gonna invite every man. We want you to bring your sons. Uh, we, we want you to bring your friends. It's not just if you struggle with, with porn or whatever, but you know somebody does, or you wanna be able to talk to the people that you care about, your sons and stuff like that. I wanna be equipped to, to, to go to battle for this. We wanna fill this place up and then we're gonna, we're gonna pipe it out to the world. As many people are right. So get on jimbergen.com, right? It just seems so self-promoting, but that's where you register, okay? And, and you'll find about the summit and whatever. There's a few spots left uh, for the summit and this one, we'll just put, we'll pack it out. We'll sit on the floor, okay? So get back to this. Why? Let me ask this. This, this, this one hurts because I've walked with people. Why are our children dying of suicide in record numbers? due to depression and anxiety and lack of identity and hopelessness. I say it's a demonic, evil, strategic attack on the image of God. You, your child. Satan delights in their hopelessness and in their destruction. This one's on my radar. Why is human trafficking, including child sex trafficking, about to eclipse illegal drug trafficking in financial revenue? Trillions. Why is Hollywood blackballing a movie called Sound of Freedom that seeks to oppose child sex trafficking when there are more people enslaved on the earth than at any time in human history? We don't want to show that. Two million children disappear every year into that evil pit. I say it's a demonic attack on the image of God. Here's one, right? Why is the church always harping about all kinds of sin in the world, but rarely does it talk about the number one thing Jesus said would keep a person out of the kingdom of God? And it wasn't sexual sin, it was greed. Didn't get an amen on that one, did I? I think it's a demonic attack inside the church to keep us distracted, but pointing fingers at everybody else, and we try to avoid our own. If you will look around the world, at the chaos around you in the world, it can all be traced back to something's going on in the spiritual world that's intentionally attacking anything that God says is right and true and leads to life. And where's the church been? 
sitting back going, it's not that bad. I don't do any of that. It's not my problem. Besides, what are we supposed to do about sex trafficking? Or, Well, I don't know. Here's what Jesus said. He says, my church will kick in the gates of hell and we will take back what belongs to my father. And that comes by knowing the word of God and then living it out in the world. It starts with your house and then it starts in this house, in this church. Our lives are to be this different than the world. Paul says like stars shining in the darkness. And I know some of you are going that. This, all right, he's a, you're being dramatic, am I? If you don't think that the media and our culture and our government are in the job of attacking everything good and holy according to Jesus, you have, you're absolutely naive or just plain blind and you're choosing not to pay attention to it. If you don't wait, if you don't think, and you feel this, when I say it, you're gonna go, yeah, I feel it. If you don't think Satan's coming for you and your children, you're, you're, you're in denial. And our only defense and our offense is to live lives of believing loyalty to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And God's word will teach us how to do that. What does that look like? This is not what we were thinking, but this is what it looks like. Live lives that demonstrate the love of Jesus to all people in a world that hates Jesus. Love. I thought we were gonna pick it. No. I thought we were gonna march. No. We're gonna love people in a world that hates Jesus. That's our calling. So we better know, how, how, know God's plan on how to do that better than we currently did. Now, I did. I ran this sermon by Mark Moore. So, Mark, have I lost my mind? Have I gone off the deep end? There's a demon, the boogeyman, right? right. Here's what he's like. He said, I'm going to read what he wrote back to me yesterday. He says, tell him this, Jim. Flatirons is a church that hundreds of other churches follow. You know that. Tell the people of Flatirons that you are not just fighting for them, but what they do to confront the unseen powers will serve as a model for thousands of other Christians in hundreds of other churches. You're gonna use your influence locally to make an impact nationally and globally. Deputize them to see themselves as models of Christ broadly. There's a lot at stake. We have to get this right. So consider, consider today just an introduction. Because <laughs> I, 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 anybody that's been with me the last two, three weeks, they go, what are you learning? And I'm like, fire hose, all right? It's just like they're, 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 they're bleeding. It's just bad, all right, right? But I wanna, so I've been reading a, a really great book. Write this down if you wanna keep up with where I'm going on this. It's called The Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. He just passed away in February. I, I ran that book by Mark. He goes, he's blowing my mind. But, but he write, he, Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser he, he just sums it up really, really well. Look at this, and then we'll be done. Any veteran, so any veterans, you're gonna, you're gonna say amen to this, right? Any veteran who has experienced combat will tell you that war is a terrible thing. Caught in such a conflict, you, may, you must take sides. Many modern people, particularly in developed countries, like to think that diplomacy and neutrality provide a more enlightened approach. But some wars and some enemies don't offer that option. When an enemy wants nothing but your defeat and annihilation, neutrality means choosing death. The war raging in the unseen world for the souls of human imagers of Yahweh is that kind of war. Neutrality is not on the table. That's where we're going. He flatters. Pick a side. Pick a side. I'm, I'm, I'm with Jesus or, or I'm not. And listen, I know. I know that I'm going down a road that might get me or us canceled. I don't care. I'm actually, I'm I was gonna say planning. I'm kind of looking forward to it. I didn't get into this to be popular or famous. And again, if someone's gonna, if, if I'm gonna offend someone, it will not be God. 
out of some self-protection, I was afraid to speak the truth. I just have to make sure that I and we, when we do speak the truth, we do it in love, knowing that none of us is qualified to throw a stone at anybody else for anything they've done because we have all sinned and fallen short of what God has told us to do. And without Jesus, we're lost. It's always going to come back to Jesus. So that's where I am. Um, I'm really scared to tell you because I think, I think you'll think I'm nuts. But if I'm going to land on some side of history, I'm going to land with the disciples who were told to shut up. And then they said, do what you want. But I cannot speak help but speak of what I have heard and seen. I must obey God rather than man. So my question is, do you want to go with me? Just stand up. Thanks. Oh. Did you hear me? We're not going to go. We're not going to go beat up people. We're not against gay people. Right? We're not about. We're not against the people on the other side of your political aisle. We're not about people that believe different things about abortion. We're not, they're, they're not our enemy. Do you hear me? Satan is our enemy. And what needs to change in our world is not going to happen on a picket line or in DC. It's happen. It's going to happen when Jesus people choose Jesus and forsake all other gods. And you know what I mean? If you don't, Stick around. <laughs> so God, in this moment, I'm, I'm really humbled um, that you would bless me with this church, that we can be together, that we can link arms with your son Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Master, who left heaven and came to earth because if he hadn't, We, we would just be without hope. But you did, Jesus. You loved us and came in our direction. And you've taken hell away. It's not even a threat in our lives anymore. But our response to that is, oh, Jesus, I, want to, I need more of you in my life. And your answer is, I'm right here. Seek me. I'm not hard to find. God bless this church. All the campuses, anybody listening online right now that say, hey, that's my church. That's where I'm gonna, that's where I'm gonna partner with them and we are going to go to war. Not against culture, not against people, not against industries, against the demonic force that's stealing God's children and he wants them back. So here we are. Use us, God. We fight, but we fight on our knees. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.